Good morning again. Many of you might be wondering why I'm hobbling around up here like a fool um, and why I was wearing flip-flops to work all week, but I'm not going to tell you. You have to decide for yourselves when the sermon is over, so maybe you'll pay attention today. Um, We are in the middle of a sermon series on Ephesians. Today we're talking about the friends of Jesus to one another, um, which, which, which would describe how we interact and how we relate to one another in community. We're also doing Ephesians at home, in case you've missed it. We have study guides that are available on the internet. There, there might be some in the back, I don't, I don't recall, but um, you can definitely check it out on the internet. It's on the front page. I suggest you print it out, and you can, you can follow along at home to an extent. We're, we're covering all of Ephesians in the study guide, and, and here in church we're reading uh, parts here and there, not reading the whole letter, and so they complement each other. They're a great, a great way to get a, a good taste of the whole book of Ephesians. And, and the reality of, of Ephesians is that Paul is concerned about his church. He's concerned about his church, and we've seen what, um, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, that we've been saved by grace through faith. We've seen the aha moment, this moment of conversion, that that salvation is for me, that that salvation is for you, and that it has a purpose to be called to a community. And last week we heard about what, what some of that might look like, how we're in community with Jesus, and, and it looks like daily quiet time. And it looks like small group life together. And it looks like corporate worship once a week. And, and these aren't rules. These aren't going to make you better or, or, or save you. But they, it's what we want to do. It's descriptive of the Christian life. is meeting together, and it's, it, it helps us to grow in faith. And then we have today how we interact as a community. What does it mean to be Christians in community? I think we often don't get it. And just a, a caveat at the very beginning. This sermon then, because it's about Christians, being Christians together, it's a sermon for Christians. This is a sermon that will make sense to you if you have faith in Jesus Christ. There may be some of you who aren't sure, some of you who who are exploring that, and that's great. We're glad to have you here. We want you to listen in, maybe get a glimpse of what God has called us to be. But, but this, is, this is a challenge specifically to the church. So listen carefully. If you have your Bibles, you might want to pull them out now. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Um, if you don't have Bibles, we've got some in the back. I, I won't be offended if you get up to get one. It'll also be on the screen. But, but we're looking at Ephesians 4, chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And, and when we read this passage, one thing really sticks out, especially at the beginning. It's this call to unity. Call to unity. And so we, we see this word one, and it happens probably five or six times in the first couple of verses. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, unified in Christ. But at the same time, while we have unity, we also have diversity. Verse 7, Paul acknowledges, um, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This isn't the grace that forgives sins. That one's given to us all equally. This is a different grace, a grace of gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, if you will. And, and we each have different gifts, and I think we can acknowledge that. And so as we deal with this passage, we're going to figure out how this goes together. How can we be unified and yet diverse all at the same time? I want to reflect on that, and, and th- I want you to think with me about this, um, 
men's hike that I just participated in. It was last weekend. We took a four-day backpacking trip to Pisgah National Forest. A friend of mine um, who's a, a priest at a church in West Ashley invited me and, and, and told me to bring along a few fellows, and, and we're going we're gonna to get one going here at St. Paul's in the spring. But basically, it was 21 men. Five of us were from St. Paul's, and we went into the woods, and we backpacked for four days. Now, can you imagine... A bunch of men with different interests and different opinions trying to get from one place to another. That would be quite the challenge. We were tasked for this 30-mile hike, but if we all tried to do our own thing, somebody would get lost in the woods, and that would not be successful. And so we have this call to, to somehow be unified, yet diversified at the same times, and, and, and keep, that, keep that in your back pocket, because we're going to come back to it. And so, unity. Well, why is it important? Verse 3. Paul is writing, and he says, As a body, you should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity, it is important, it is essential. If we look at chapter 3, verse 10, we're going back a little bit. Paul is talking about the mystery of Jesus Christ and the mystery of salvation. And he's telling us the purpose for this mystery. And the purpose of this mystery is so that through the church, so through the body of Christ, through God bringing us all together, Jewish people, non-Jewish people, all of us come together to faith in one Jesus Christ. So verse 10. Chapter 3. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church, the role of the church is to make known the wisdom of God. The role of the church is to evangelize. When people look at the church, they're supposed to see God. When people look at us, this community of faith, they're supposed to see God and they're supposed to think, wow, what is it about those people? What's different about them? I want to be part of that. What is it? And, and, and we evangelize by saying, you're not seeing us, you're seeing Jesus Christ. So that's why unity is imper- important. It's, it's really important. And so think practically to our call this year. Our call is to... Find the ones blowing the whistle, essentially to evangelize, to be a present in our local community, to find folks who are drowning in our culture, in a hostile culture, to find them and to offer them Jesus Christ, to pull them out of the cold, wet, and pull them into the boat, the boat of Jesus Christ. And the question is, can this happen? Can we do this? If we're not united, if we were just a bunch of folks fighting all the time, are people going to want to be a part of that? No. Or think even at your family level, the the smallest unit of the church. If your family is constantly bickering and arguing and not getting along, are people going to say, wow, I really want to come eat at your house? No. We've been called to unity, and it is essential We cannot proclaim the gospel 
if we're divided. We cannot proclaim the gospel if we don't know Jesus Christ. And so, so Paul starts us off with this common belief, one God, one Father of all. And, and so we're, we're back at the start of this hike. Now imagine, if you will, if all these men were given a map. Where would we be? Some people would want to go slower. Some would want to go faster. Some would want to go higher. Some not so much. We'd be all over the place. We wouldn't camp together. We'd be lucky if we made it back to the car. But we shared a common belief. We had a unity of purpose. And that unity was, our goal was to get start at the car, go 30 miles, and get back to the car in four days all together. We were united. We had one purpose and one vision. And that is the call of the church, is to be united in Christ. And so we have... What we believe, again, verses 4 to 6, one body, one spirit, one God and Father of all. We don't believe in two gods or three gods or four gods, just one God. One God. He's Trinity, He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but He's just one. And this, the, the hard thing about this is it's so countercultural these days to say that there's just one God. The culture wants to say, well, there's a number of things. One of them could be, There's many gods, there's many ways to God, Buddha, Allah, Jesus, they're all the same. Another thing the culture wants to say to this is is maybe we should tap into our own, you know, our own inner God, our own spiritual being that lives inside of us. And if we can just get that, if the yin and the yang somehow line up, then we're good to go. And that's, that's not, that's not the Christian message, that doesn't work. There's one God, and it's Jesus Christ. The Christian proclamation is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's in 2 Corinthians. That's what we proclaim because that's what we believe because that's the one God that we're called to serve. And another way this challenges us, um, I think, is particularly down in the Deep South. It's really everywhere, but especially down here in the Deep South because, you know, my mama was a Christian and her mama was a Christian. And her mama was a Christian, and her grandmama was a Christian, and her grandmother actually taught Jesus everything he knows. That's, that's, that's kind of how it works down here. And so we're Christians, and, and we are, and we believe in the one true God, but it's just always been that way. There's never a time when somebody wasn't a Christian, and if we think about it, how many, you know, how many folks do we know who aren't Christians? Some of you probably know a lot, and that's great. I'm trying. I, I don't know as many as I should. And so that makes it hard to evangelize. And so we've got this sort of heritage of Christianity. And when it's always been that way, it's easy for things to slip in, things we call idols. Um, I, an idol is something that we put up on a pedestal that's over and above God. And so you know what these are. I mean, they're money and possessions and status. Um, sometimes we make idols out of our family. We put them above God. Sometimes we make idols even out of the church. We can put this church above God, believe it or not, sometimes. And when we do that, we're, we're, we're making idols. And, and, and that is basically saying, well, we believe in three or four or five gods. We've got this one God, Jesus Christ, and we've always believed in him But look at all these other great things. And sometimes they get in the way. They're not bad, necessarily. They're only bad when they get in the way of our relationship with God. John Calvin says it best. 
Like water gushing forth from a large and copious spring, immense crowds of gods have issued from the human mind, every man giving himself full license and devising some peculiar form of divinity to meet his own views. No doubt they will allege they have a different intention, but it is of little consequence what they intended or what they persuade themselves to believe since the Holy Spirit pronounces all to be apostates who in their blindness of their minds substitute demons in the place of God. Like water gushing forth from a large and copious spring. Think about that. All this water coming out, and this is what's coming out of our hearts, all these idols. And we do it over and over again. And so when we do that, we're denying the one true God, which is Jesus Christ. And when we come back to unity and we think about if we have squabbles in the church, for instance, what are we fighting over? It's idols. Maybe it's a building or a program. Maybe it's the coffee. I mean, who knows? We fight over these crazy things because we're all putting them in place of God when really, what if we just laid those aside? What if we put them down and said, we believe in Jesus Christ? His grace is sufficient for us. And so, what would this look like? What would this look like in the church if we could put aside these idols? Well, the second thing about this hike was this idea that we all had to submit to each other. And so, for the guys who are really good hikers and who could go really fast, The fact of the matter is they could only go as fast as the slowest guy on the trail. Sure, they might get ahead, but then they'd have to wait. Everybody else would catch up, and they'd hike with us for a little bit, and then they might get ahead again, and everybody else would catch up. But they weren't going to get to the destination any quicker. So they had to submit to that. And and on the other hand, the slow folks, I don't know any of them, um, maybe me, but the slow folks had to be willing to submit themselves. We had to accept help. We had to be willing on the last day of the hike when I have quarter-sized blisters on my heels, I had to be willing to give up my pack, to give it to one of these guys who scampered to the top and set down his backpack, came back down the hill while I was walking and took mine and then took it up to the top of the hill. That's a humbling thing to do. But we had to submit. We had to lay aside our own agendas and our own ideas. And that's, that's what we're called to as the church. We're called to verse four, um, 2 and 3. With, we're called to be worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience. Bearing with one another in love. We're called to do that because that's what God did for us. If you think about Jesus as he walked to the cross, was he not humble? Could he not have said, well, I'm God. I really don't need to do this. Sure he could have. But he humbled himself. He was gentle. He didn't condemn the folks who were condemning him. He forgave them. He was patient. He was patient with us as as sinful people, people who came to save us. We nailed him to a cross. He bore our burdens. He bore our sins on that cross. He took the separation we have from God so that we could be united to God. 
And that's what we're called to do, to follow Jesus Christ. That needs to be characteristic of our life together. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another's burdens. That's the call of the Christian church. The challenge to this call, obviously, or maybe not so obviously, but but it's diversity. We're not robots. God hasn't programmed us all just the same. And so, you know, on the trail, we all have various gifts. Some folks actually got a map, thank God. Some folks had a map. Some guys were cooks. Some guys, you know, they just did a great job cooking. They planned the meals. They gave us good food. There were the really in shape guys I talked about who walked the mountain three or four times each. There were spiritual leaders. There were jokesters. There was the guy on the hike who he's just walking along, and you know, every 10 minutes or so, he pulls out another summer sausage and shares it with all of us. I mean, it was, that was amazing. All of these guys and all, these, all this diversity coming together was wonderful when we had a common goal. But when you combine a lot of diversity and a lot of sin, you get a bunch of problems. You get a bunch of problems. And so we have to submit to one another. And Paul gives us instructions for how to live in this diversity. So we have verse 7. Again, that big word we talked about a few works ago, but. So be united, but grace was given to each of you according to the measure of Christ's gifts. We've all been giving gifts, different gifts. And so some of us will be called to be leaders. Some will be called to be um, we're all called to servanthood, but some to servants in a peculiar fashion. Some are called to prayer ministry. Some are called um, to hospitality. All of these are different, diverse gifts within the one body of Christ, all to serve the one purpose. And we have to, we have to deal with this over and above the culture. Because, for instance, the culture is going to elevate leadership and say, everybody needs to be a leader. And to an extent, that's right. We're all called to lead people to Christ. But here is a question for you. If we are all leaders, who exactly are we leading? And so we see this culture that elevates different gifts and says, oh, leaders are really good. You don't want to be a follower. And I say, that's baloney. That's just baloney. We've all been given different gifts. They're all different, and they all contribute to the same goal, and they're all of equal importance. And so when we're on the trail, you know, if we're hiking up a 1,400-foot climb, it's really nice to have a guy with a map, except what's even nicer at that moment is the guy who can tell a good joke to make you stop thinking about your burning legs, or the guy who can pull out his summer sausage to give you some energy. I don't care about the map at that moment. And so we have all these gifts, and, and going on to verse 11, um, you know, how, how are they appointed? Well, well, specifically, there's apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Um, now, the apostles and prophets are in this book. We've got their witness, it's in the Bible, and that is the definitive leader of the Christian community. Now, beyond that, there's, there's leaders appointed um, for, for different, different congregations. And, and in this church, it would, it would be your staff and your, your, your vestry and different folks in this congregation who are appointed in leadership roles. But what is their job? This is important. Verse 12. My translation is slightly different, but your, that one's very good too. Verse 12 says, um, They're appointed to equip the saints for the work of ministry 
for building up the body of Christ. It's not the job of the leaders to do all the work. It's not the job of certain people in the church to do all the work. It's not the job of any one person. It's the job of the saints. That's all of us. To be equipped for the work of God. And that work, first and foremost, is to build one another up in love. To build one another up in the Holy Spirit. And so we're, we're called to equip one another for ministry. And it's, it's interesting. When we minister to one another out of our unity, out of our belief in the one true God, uh, it becomes a cycle. You know, we, we believe in God, we minister to one another, we believe more in God. We minister to one another, we believe more in God. We're drawn closer to God. And, and somehow believing is important, and that's the first step. But the second step is to minister. And in ministering, God gives us more faith. He draws us closer to Himself. And the, so the result of this unity is transformation. Transformation. We came back from that mountain different people. Different people. We were unified. We got from point A all the way back to point A. And we were different people. And so because we were drawn together, because we were drawn closer to God, we could come back and people could see something was different. And, and the reality is, all this goes back to evangelism. How we act towards one another preaches the gospel. The world says the individual is number one. The church says we're all in this together. The world says get the money and run. The church says get the money and give it away. The world says status and pride are important. We say humility before the cross is important. And so Paul closes, we didn't read this, but but we have to go to it. Paul closes this section with verses 15 and 16. He says, rather, rather than being um, deceived by this world, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body has, is joined and held together by every joint with which is it is equipped. When each body part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're the body of Christ, friends. Your body's not going to work if this hand wants to do one thing and this hand wants to do something else. Or if your foot and your other foot are, are trying to go in different directions. It's not going to work. But when we're united in the head, Jesus Christ, all these amazing, diverse, incredible body parts come together to accomplish some amazing things, to make the manifold wisdom of God known to this whole world. That's our calling, to be the body of Christ together. You would pray with me. Lord, you've given us this picture of a body of many different and diverse parts working together, loving one another, united in your love for us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us an abundance of your grace, that we may lay ourselves down for the good of your body, for the good of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.